Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When people have discussions with each other, one of the most popular subjects is politics. Politics and religion, those two subjects, generally tend to be very popular when people have conversations with each other. And, of course, these conversations can easily turn into debates. They can turn into arguments. They can turn into very interesting discussions when people get together and they talk about the things that are important to them. Some people have this uh, this policy that they have for themselves where they just simply don't talk about religion or politics, and they don't want anybody else to talk to them about religion or politics. And I can appreciate that because there's a lot of opportunity for conflict when people talk about these subjects. But what I'm going to do in this program is I'm going to talk about politics and religion. I'm going to go ahead and do that. You know, sometimes people make the assumption, however, that these are two completely unrelated topics, that these are two unrelated subjects, but they truly are the same subject. And let me explain why. When you're talking about politics, when you're talking about political decisions, decisions that are generally enforced by some law of some kind, when you're talking about those things, you're generally going to end up in a discussion of what is right and wrong, of what is good or evil. What is the morality behind the decisions that are made from a political point of view? That is where the arguments are found. That is where the disagreements are found. The disagreements and the arguments have to do with, is this right or is this not right? Is this something that should be done or is this something that shouldn't be done? It has to do with morality. And all morality has its foundation in religion. And also all religion has its foundation in morality. It either comes from a person's religious persuasion or it defines an individual's religious persuasion. And even though an individual may not acknowledge the existence of God at all, they may believe that there is no God at all, they have their morality and the way that they live their lives according to the morality that they have is effectively their own personal religion. And so there is no way, it is not possible to separate politics from religion because politics and religion are effectively the same. They are the same in the sense that the politics of an individual is the manifestation of their morality defined by their religion. And if they have no religion, then their own standards of right and wrong, their own personal standards of what is good or what is evil, what should be done, what shouldn't be done, their own personal standards become their religion. Now, just like any religion, it is necessary to have somebody to compare yourself with. Otherwise, an individual's beliefs, their religion is of no real value. I mean, you have to have someone to compare yourself with. 
For example, from a religious perspective, in order to say that you are a good person, you need a bad person. You need somebody to compare yourself with. You need to say that you are obedient to law. You are obedient to religious law, that is. You are obedient to God. And somebody else is not. You need somebody else in your life to compare yourself with so that you can say that you are holy in the context of somebody who is not holy. You see, this doesn't work if if you find somebody who is holier than you are, who is more obedient to God than you are. It doesn't work very well. Of what value is your religion when apparently somebody else's religion is doing a lot more for them than it is for you? That's what I mean, is that you have to have somebody to compare yourself with. Because if you don't have somebody to compare yourself with, your religion does not give you an opportunity to build up any personal pride within yourself. And so you might as well abandon it and just go to something else. In politics, it is the same. It is the same. You need someone to compare yourself with. For example, during the time of this recording in the United States of America, we have two major political parties. We have the Democrats and we have the Republicans. And the Republicans need the Democrats. And the Democrats need the Republicans. They need each other. Because if they didn't have each other, then who are they going to blame? Who are they going to compare themselves with? It is necessary for them to have somebody to compare themselves with so that they can say that they are better. So that they can say that they are more worthy. So that they can justify themselves and justify their beliefs. They need someone to blame for problems. They need someone to compare themselves with so that they can show that their beliefs are better from a morality point of view, from a moral point of view, right? It's necessary to have someone else to compare yourself with in religion, just as it is necessary to compare yourself with someone in politics. And so for these reasons, I will say that religion and politics are truly the same. And the religion of a politician is very, very important because their beliefs deep down inside will be reflected in the decisions that they make from a political point of view. And also, when it comes to religion, their political beliefs can have an impact on how they see God and how they believe they should relate to God. It can go both ways. This is an individual concern, and so I, of course, cannot get into this in detail. I can only speak in generalities that when you have an individual who is very religious or lives by their religion, it will be reflected in their politics. So also, if a person comes to faith and pursues religion in some capacity, their politics can have a significant influence on their direction and their decisions and how they pursue a relationship with God. It can have an influential effect. And the reason why is because the root issues... The root issues have to do with the condition of a person's heart, and the condition of a person's heart is often defined by their morality. It is defined by their decisions concerning what is good and evil, right and wrong, and how they make judgments and how they make decisions accordingly. 
Now, in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul writes about politics. He does. He writes about the subject of politics. And so, of course, there have been many politicians, many politicians in the history of humanity who have enjoyed looking at Romans chapter 13 because there are many opportunities for them to assert themselves in ways that might be inappropriate. And as we look back on history, we can identify certain leaders who once were, who looked at Romans chapter 13 in a way that today we would not agree with. And I expect that this will happen in the future, as it has happened in the past. What would be any different that would cause it to be different in the future? I do believe that we will see this happen again, that people will look at this chapter in a way that could very well be inappropriate. Now, to begin this subject, though, the subject of the connection between politics and religion, especially how it relates to Romans chapter 13, the first thing that I have to talk about is taxes. I have to talk about taxes. Jesus spoke about taxes, of course. But I'm going to start there. In Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 6, it says, Because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone. And that goes into verse 8. And so in the scriptures, we have passages that say that we should pay taxes to the government. And this is definitely a political statement. It is a political statement. And of course, there can be some involved consequences. Now, of course, when talking about taxes, With relationship to the scriptures, the real subject that you have to understand first is the subject of the tithe, because the tithe was the tax that God instituted in order to establish the nation of Israel and the Levitical priesthood being the government over the nation of Israel. I do believe in government and I believe in taxes. I do because God established government and he established taxes. The taxes were given by the Israelite people, with the exception of the Levites. The Levites were the recipients of those taxes, and they used that money or those resources in order to fulfill their obligations to the Israelite people and to God. And so there is a clear example of taxation and government in the law that was given by our God through Moses. And I, of course, did a complete study on the subject of tithing, which I definitely need to encourage you to listen to. It is available for free through my radio archive. You can listen to those programs. The first program is kind of a shock and awe. You have to go to the second program in order to begin the real subject. But I want you to seriously consider, if you haven't listened to those yet, you need to seriously consider listening to those programs because I explain a lot more than just the tithe when I address the subject. This is a very important subject, and if you do not understand this subject, it's going to be very difficult for you to understand other subjects, and this is one example. And so please consider listening to those programs. They are very important. But one thing I did not mention in those recordings, because it just wasn't a place to do it, I didn't mention this, at least not directly. I need to mention this now, and that is that the tithe was a voluntary tax. It was not an involuntary tax. It was a voluntary tax. It was a tax that the people gave freely and there was no punishment 
no punishment for failure to give the tithe. That's a very important thing to see. Now, throughout the course of history, there have been some times when countries have also established a voluntary tax. One way you can find this out is by going into history and looking to see, is there any law that requires someone to pay taxes? If there is no law that requires someone to pay taxes, then it is a voluntary tax. Now, this can be very deceiving because while there may be no law, there may be an enforcement authority of some kind. There may be some people who will take you before a judge, take you to a court and throw you in jail or prison and they will take your property, your assets, your money. They'll keep you from leaving the country, things like that. Then it's technically a voluntary tax, but practically speaking, it's an involuntary tax. And so you need to understand that throughout the course of history, there have been some nations that tried to follow this model. But, you know, in general, it eventually becomes an involuntary tax. And if this is not decided by law, it is normally decided by force. Now, what I want you to see here is that if this was a voluntary tax, the tithe that the people gave to the Levitical priesthood in order to fulfill their responsibilities as the government in the local communities, if this was a voluntary tax, then what would happen if the people did not give the tax? Well, you have to listen to the programs I did on tithing in order to fully appreciate the implications of what will happen. All I can do right now is just summarize and explain to you that if they did not supply the Levitical priesthood with the resources they needed in order to fulfill their responsibilities, then they would fail. The Levitical priesthood would not be able to fulfill their responsibilities, and if that happened, then there could be some societal consequences. The civilization there might have some serious problems. And so it would be in the people's interest to ensure that the Levites had everything they needed in order to fulfill their responsibilities, because if they didn't, then the people could experience some consequences. Now, what I want you to see concerning this, concerning the voluntary tax, is that the people would have a responsibility, and the Levites would have responsibilities. The people would have the responsibility of ensuring that the Levites had what they needed, but they would also... Indirectly, they would also have the responsibility to ensure that the Levites did fulfill their responsibilities, which means that the people retained their authority, and if the Levites did not use the resources appropriately, then the people could simply stop giving them resources. It was a system of checks and balances, and a very important one, because if the people did not give the materials that the Levites needed, then the Levites would immediately have to go do something else. They'd have to go somewhere else, find a way to make a living doing something else, because the people were not going to provide them with the resources in order to continue to do what they were doing as the government infrastructure. Now, if that happened, yes, there would be some consequences. But if the people were directly involved in this way then those consequences would be revisited by the people, they would evaluate the situation, and they would reestablish the government in the way that they knew they should according to the law that was given by Moses. It was very easy to make corrections 
to the government, and it was very easy to make corrections to the civilization under the voluntary taxation system. But if the taxation becomes involuntary, then the situation becomes much more complex. The reason why is because the government will have the authority to take whatever property an individual has, perhaps even their life, either by death or by imprisonment or slavery, if they have that kind of authority over the people, then what happens when the government becomes corrupt or the people in the government are behaving in an inappropriate way or they are using the resources in a way that the people don't want them to be used, don't want the resources to be used, they don't want the government to do certain things, then what happens if the people do not give the resources that the government expects to receive, then the authority will be invoked. The authority that the government has will be invoked and they will go and they will do whatever is necessary in order to take the resources that at that point they believe they need to have, they deserve, they should have, and it is your responsibility to give them whatever they want. And at that point, there is no way It is not possible at that point to stop giving the taxes and so the government won't go home, won't go somewhere else. It will always be there. It will never shrink. It will never be reduced. It will continually expand and there will be no way for the people to stop the expansion in any way whatsoever because their ability to stop it from happening no longer exists. Now, this is a very important thing to understand when it comes to Romans chapter 13, because if you don't understand this, you're not going to be able to distinguish between a government that is truly righteous and a government that is not righteous at all and that may not fit into the category or the classification or the description that we have here in Romans chapter 13. It may not be what Paul was intending to talk about. This is very important to understand. So I want you to see that there is a difference between a voluntary tax and an involuntary tax. Now, again, as I explained earlier, if it is a voluntary tax, then the people will have a responsibility to ensure that the government is behaving appropriately. But if it is an involuntary tax, then the people do not have the responsibility to ensure that the government is using the resources appropriately. The people no longer have the responsibility because at that point, they can just simply say, well, I have to give. I have to give whatever they demand. There is nothing I can do about it. But this also gives the people the opportunity to shift blame and to say it's their fault. It's the government's fault. It's this political party's fault, or it's that political party's fault, or it's that leader's fault. It gives the people the freedom from their personal responsibilities. This is why many people have found the involuntary tax to be appealing. It's very appealing to people who do not want personal responsibility, but instead All they want is somebody else to blame. They want somebody else to blame. They want somebody who they can say it's it's their fault. 
And from a religious point of view, we need people like that so that we can elevate ourselves, elevate our pride, eventually maybe say things like, if I was in charge, if I was the leader, then of course I would do things differently. This is appealing to the pride of humanity. And why? People will want an involuntary tax more than a voluntary tax because it provides people a way out of their personal responsibility. It provides people with a way out so that they can just simply give a portion of their income or their sales or whatever they whatever they get taxed on. They can just simply give whatever and they can say that they're forced to do it and so they can shift blame for any problems that might ever exist. This is a significant appeal that is very difficult to overcome. And the reason why is because within the core of humanity, people do not want responsibility. They do not want to be responsible for their own successes or for their failures. This goes way back. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when when Adam blamed the woman and the woman blamed the snake. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame. Psychologists, for example, are very well known, many of them, of course not all of them, but many of them are very well known for just simply helping people find somebody to blame for their problems. That is society. That is the way civilization eventually decays. They eventually decay to that point. That is how civilization functions, and it decays to the point of just simply shifting blame, shifting responsibility. But don't worry. Don't worry. There's always someone. It seems like there is always someone who is willing to assume these responsibilities, who is willing to take the authority upon themselves knowing full well that they'll never be able to fulfill those responsibilities, that they don't really have the necessary authority to do what they need to do. They don't have the resources that they're going to need in order to fulfill all the promises that they make. They may know that, but don't worry. There's always someone who will assume these positions. And one of the reasons why is because they'll be able to get a commission off of whatever bad decision that they make. And there's various ways that that happens. It's important to see, though, that this is in the interest of people who do not want responsibility, and it is also in the interest of people who are willing to lie and say that they will take the responsibility, they will do what is right, knowing full well that they won't. Nations rise and they fall on this simple issue. Now, when it comes to an involuntary taxation system, of course, there is no way for the people to ever regain their personal responsibilities. There is no way for the people to ever regain their personal responsibilities because the government that gets built will be unwilling to let go of the responsibilities that it has already assumed. Because again, the people will just have to go find something else to do. They'll have to go home. They'll have to build a new life for themselves. There is no way that the government will ever let go of that unless the funding is cut off or 
unless there is revolution of some kind. There's there's no way to do that. But of course, in an involuntary system, there's no way for the funding to be cut off, and so there's only revolution. And this is not not a healthy thing. I don't want to encourage people to revolt. There are other ways of solving these kinds of problems besides engaging in revolution. I think there are other ways of solving these kinds of problems, but that's not the purpose of this program. I just want to say that this is the situation that many people will eventually find themselves in. And if they don't find themselves in this situation, their children will. And if their children don't, their grandchildren will. Somebody eventually will. Their posterity will eventually experience the tyranny that gets developed through the natural decay of humanity. Now, this idea of responsibility is a very important idea, and I've spent a lot of time talking about this because I continually find people who have no concept of this at all. Along with responsibility, you have to have authority, though. If you do not have the necessary authority to fulfill your responsibility, you will experience failure. Again, responsibility without the necessary authority will always result in failure. This is true in the home. This is true in the business. And so this is true in government as well. It's true in the church. It's true everywhere. If a person has responsibilities without the necessary authority, then they will experience failure. There is no alternative. And this is why the authorities, those who are in authority, eventually have to have more authority. It is because people will give their responsibilities to someone else. And so the governing authority will gradually need to assume more and more authority over the people in order to fulfill the responsibilities that the people give them. And so if the people want to be free of the authority, then they are going to have to assume the responsibilities for themselves. Now, of course, as I explained, there are limits concerning that because the people who are in the government might be unwilling to let go of their responsibilities and their authority, and so they might use that in order to assert themselves in a way that the people probably don't want. So at that point, the only peaceful way that an individual can survive this is to just simply go somewhere else. They have to go to some other place and be a part of another society, pay taxes to another government that will allow them to have the personal responsibilities that they want to have for themselves. So this is why our God gave the Levitical priesthood to have certain responsibilities, and the people had their responsibilities to provide taxes, and so the Levites could fulfill theirs. There was a mutual beneficial relationship that could then take place that would provide people with a greater opportunity to have freedom. And so I believe that this is the premise that Paul is working with in Romans chapter 13. When he speaks about taxes, he speaks about government. If we assume that the government meets the standards that he also describes in the beginning of Romans chapter 13. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. 
Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.